Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan. Uh, I am a member of the Blue Moon podcast, and I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns. Hi, I'm Stephen. I'm a Chelsea fan. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen Clark CFC. And um, sometimes writing for the London is Blue podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith. I support Burnley, and I'm a football journalist from the Sport News. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have to talk about the trophy that was won today uh, by Manchester City in the Community Shield. Uh, we fortunately have both sides of that match on. Uh, so, Richard, we'll, we'll just start with the uh, Manchester City perspective uh, from that match today. Yeah, well, I decided um, about 60 minutes into the game that it is a real game and not just a preseason trophy. Probably sometime around the second goal that I decided that it wasn't just <laughs> A glorified friendly. Um, in all seriousness, it was um, for as as Community Shield games go. I thought it was a a very very good performance by City. Um, it, it pretty much picked up where last season left off. You would I think you could watch that and uh, conceivably conceivably believe that there'd been no break and no players away on international duty, or that that was. Um, the strongest 11 of a record-breaking title-winning team. I think you could see that and and, and quite easily be convinced uh, when the reality is that it is a team that's had, um, that that sent the most players to the World Cup, uh, didn't have its strongest 11 out and and, and is uh, sort of trying to get back into form after its own pre-season break. Uh, I thought it was under those circumstances and against the... Uh, a team that I expect to be good this year um, and against the manager whose Napoli team gave us more problems than than any team other than Liverpool last season. Um, it was just so commanding. It, it was brilliant. Um, I, I do have to say with that, that how much you read into these games, personally, on the trophy side of it, um, it it's not an honour or silverware that I care about. I do think it's a glorified friendly. Any game where you can make six substitutions isn't a fully competitive game to me. Um, That said, it's a game that's there to be won. It's at Wembley um, and one week before the season to be a team that could be a rival this year um, so convincingly will give us and will give the team so much confidence going into the Arsenal game next week. It was really satisfying to see them um, I'll say semi hit the ground running because I I don't take it as a quite hitting the ground yet. But w- whatever stage they're at, they're certainly running. <laughs> yeah, Stephen, uh, what did you make of the Chelsea side of it? 
Yeah, so on the Chelsea side of things, um, opposite to Richard, I decided sixty. I decided sixty minutes through this game that it uh, wasn't an important game, <laughs> and uh, wasn't a trophy we wanted to win at all. Um, no, but but seriously, um, we 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 were obviously really looking forward to this game. Obviously, Manchester City are the champions of England right now. And, um, um, having seen some some really positive things in preseason so far, we. Were, I was really excited to see us test ourselves against the best and um, inevitably came up very short today. Um, some of the players really looked lacking of fitness and I think that um, this is obviously a worry about a, less than a week out from the season starting now. Um, I think Sari mentioned that he still hasn't met six of his players, which is, you know, not always the best thing. <laughs> um, but I, I think this is what, what you see sometimes from teams that, you know, are la- lacking fitness um, on our side of things, anyway, um, it, it really it really showed the the, the class and quality um, that Manchester City had, especially going forward. I think it gave our defence a, a lot of a lot of trouble. Um, Aguero looked looked incredibly sharp, and yeah, there was it, it was just really catalog of mistake after mistake in this game from our point of view. There was some bright spots, obviously. I, I think Hudson Odoi looked. Looks magnificent as he mm-hmm. as he's looked all preseason. Um, I think this is the toughest test that he's had so far against Kyle Walker. Really found it hard to to run down the wing as he's liked to do in the last few games. Tended to cut inside quite a bit today, um, which isn't always the best thing that you want to see from your youngsters. But you know, I, I think that he it was a good litmus test for for Hudson. Um, uh, the, the real the real standouts for me out of profiling who was playing well and bad. I think that Morata, Alonso and Fabregas look to be major issues in this system and kind of have done all preseason. I'm just not sure how Morata works as a in in this system at all. He he tries to get involved in the in the build up play far too much. Um Mauricio Sari tends to tends to prefer a, a poacher esque striker and um I think that Bashawai could easily find his way into this team over Morata this season. Alon Alonso as we as Chelsea fans know, have, has really struggled to to grasp the technical side of the game more often than not. And um, Fabregas obviously is is not getting any younger. Um, so there are there was some promising signs. I think that um, I think that Louise and Rudiger looked comfortable playing out of the back for the most part. Though once we got into Manchester City's half. We just looked bereft of any ideas or fitness <laughs> to do anything further, um, and at sometimes we looked a bit square at the back. But that all come with kind of shape work and tactical adjustment. But yes, yeah, some promising signs, some a lot of concerning signs. But still, still early from our point of view. Congratulations to Manchester City at this point. But yeah, um, long season to go for us. Yeah, as Richard said, uh, City were missing players. Obviously, Chelsea were as well. And we kind of joked in the pre-match about a tweet I saw that basically said, uh, in case you were wondering what Chelsea would look like without Hazard and Conte in the team, uh, not very good. <laughs> and that was uh, kind of uh, at, at the forefront there as well. Um, Jamie, your Burnley side signed a player today. Wait. Yes, we did. You sure did. That means <laughs> that Tottenham are now the only team that have not signed anybody this window. Also, last season, Tottenham were the last team to sign a player in the Premier League as well. Uh, why do you guys think this keeps happening um, and Tottenham? Why do you think they're so slow and uh, not to be too harsh, but at times ineffective in the market? Um, to me, I think that 
Tottenham continuously uh, achieve what they want to in the league. So if, um, over the last three, four, five seasons, they are a reasonably successful league team. They've improved no end in that time, you know, an unbelievable amount. Um, and I think given that this is regularly how Tottenham approach a transfer window, the the experience now says that this works, that you can approach a transfer window in this way, that you can hold off until almost until the last minute to get the signings that you want. Um, and it doesn't seem to have a negative impact on Tottenham's season. I think that seems almost counterintuitive. Um, you'd think that you want, and I know it's something that City have, have really improved out over the last couple of years, you'd think that you want your players in early to get used to training, to get used to the manager, to get used to the team, patterns of play and all that stuff uh, that really helps you hit the ground running. Um, but it just doesn't really seem to affect Tottenham all that much. So I suppose at the moment, where's the unless they are directly missing out on players that they want to other clubs, um, I'm not sure they'll see, at, maybe at boardroom level, what the incentive is to hurry things up because they seem to do this, maybe avoid paying some of the, the vastly inflated prices and still get what they want out of the season. Uh, so I, I wonder if maybe that affects the thinking and and uh, stops the being, um, I wouldn't say panic buying, but but maybe stops things, that slows things down. Um, I'd imagine it doesn't impress Pochettino. You'd think he would want players in quickly, but if at boardroom level um, where the, the money actually changes hands and the big decisions are made, then they're getting what they want out of the club and out of the season. So maybe that explains it. Yeah, I, I really think it's interesting over the last few years that we see um, the the effect of amortised value come into effect with transfers. Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot going on in modern day transfers. You know, you're not just playing the, the player fee, you're playing you're paying the agent fee, you're paying sometimes for you know, all types of clauses and contracts and um, image rights and those sort of things. And I think that the valuations on players tend to tend to skyrocket <laughs> really quick. And, I, and obviously we, we know what type of uh, character Levy is and he's a hard negotiator um, notoriously. And, you know, it, it's, it's worked for Tottenham um, to an extent in recent years. So you can't really... Yeah, you, you got to say that there is a method to, to the madness, I suppose. And um, you, you do just wonder, though, if, if if Tottenham had really invested over the last two years to to help um, build even more around this wonderful spine that they've now developed, well, Pochettino could could have done could have done more, could have you know led led this team to a title. And this is just a, this looks like just another year that they just haven't been able to. Sh- to strengthen in some key areas, um, it looks like Musa Dembele is going to be gone. Going to be gone potentially. I'm not sure, Kevin. Um, and I think that also in recent years they've they've just said that that Tottenham have been way off in valuations of players. You know, people like Zaha and Grealish. Um, you know, we've heard heard from the other side of things that they've just that Tottenham haven't valued them at the at the same price that 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 these clubs do and you know that's <laughs> I suppose that's that's a really subjective way of, lo- of looking at it from each club's point of view their, their own valuation of the players but this tends to ha- this is going to happen I think when Spurs have looked 
haven't really looked abroad at their transfer targets a lot. <laughs> you know, when you're looking at guys like Zaha and Grealish, who are homegrown players, you're gonna you're gonna pay that you're gonna have to pay that little bit extra. And I think that uh, Levy's the kind of guy that might be reluctant to do so more often than not. Yeah, I think it's um it's an interesting one this because Tottenham have obviously spent a lot of money on the stadium and that's going to happen this season. They're going to move in and people don't, I think, seem to have appreciated the sort of level of funding that will have gone into that. The club's obviously tried to sell the naming rights and hasn't been able to come up with an agreement yet. So that's a big hole in the finances. And they have spent money. It's just not been on transfer fees. Harry Kane signed a, a six-year contract, was it? That'll be on big money for, mm-hmm. certainly for Spurs. And you can only spend this money once. So it might be the case that it was a choice between going for someone like Zaha at 50, 60 million pounds or giving Kane his new contracts and committing his future to the club. Um I understand the frustration of, of Tottenham's fans. Obviously, Burnley have been in a very similar position this summer. We've only just signed our first incoming player. And I think our squad was obviously a lot weaker than, than Tottenham's as well. We had a couple go out, um, Dean Marnie and Scott Arfield, who, OK, they were only squad players really, but if we're going to be in the Europa League group stage, which hopefully, fingers crossed, we will be, they would have been useful assets. So our squad has actually got weaker, despite the fact we could be playing a dozen more matches. Um, so it can be frustrating. I think Spurs fans need to to also just appreciate what they have. I'm not saying that you shouldn't dream about more, but the fact that they've been able to keep everyone so far, okay, Alderweireld might go, but Harry Kane being able to stay, there was talk of Real Madrid wanting him for 200 million, Deli Ali similarly, there's been a lot of stories about him potentially going to Madrid. Being able to keep hold of these players, some of the best young players in world football, I think it's absolutely huge. Poch is obviously building something, and okay, he's not won any trophies yet, but that's not the be-all and end-all. He's building something really special at Spurs, and sometimes if you add players to the mix, it doesn't necessarily help. I think with hindsight, would Spurs fans have really wanted to spend £30 on Moussa Sissoko, for (laughs) example? Has he been worth that money? So. It's a tricky one, and I think Spurs will do some business before the window closes. I think Levy's probably got bitten a little bit with Grealish. He should have gone when Villa was skint. Um, and if he wants to play now, he's probably going to pay twice as much as he could have a few weeks ago. But if if we're talking 60 million, 70 million for Wolves Zaha, I can totally understand why Spurs are saying, well, hang on, that's that's just not for us. We can't participate in that market. And it's frustrating, but... I think Spurs fans need to just look at the team they've got. They did really well last season and the young players are just going to keep getting better and better and keeping them, it's almost like signing new players sometimes. Yeah, I'm not actually going to touch on that because I'm just hosting today and you guys have to hear me talk about Tottenham almost every week. So we'll just leave it there, but excellent points um, by all of you there. Uh, Now... This is our last full show before the season fully starts, so as is tradition, we're going to each go through and list who we think will win the league, who all will finish in the top four, and which three teams will be unfortunate enough to be relegated this season. We'll start off with you, Richard. Uh, Winning the league, uh, I'm going to have to go for City. Um, There's no sign that 
anything's really going to slow down from last season. So I think one of the things that we have to get used to and that is going to be interesting from our supporters is how we react when things don't go as well in the league as they did last year because it is inconceivable that we'll go from a season where we've broken every sort of positive record worth having, most points, biggest points gap, biggest goal difference, most wins, most away wins, um, so on and so forth. First team to get 100 points. It's, it's not going to happen that we break all those points again. We're probably going to lose, uh, realistically, probably lose more games than we did last season where we only lost two. Um, and yet I still think we'll be the best team in the country, possibly um, by a bit of a distance again. So... The met- so by any metric, we probably won't look as good, but I think it will be a season of further ingraining Guardiola's style into this team, which is obviously already uh, sort of pretty well ingrained at this point. Um, but I do think come the end of the season, um, I think we'll be the first team to have defended a title since United did it in 2009. Uh, we look hungrier than we ever have done in our previous two title defences in 2012 and two, uh, following 2012 and 2014. Uh, Guardiola obviously has an excellent record of defending league titles and I think Mares is um, a bit of a masterstroke of a signing. I think he will prove to be fantastic and, and massively improve the team. If we get a holding midfielder in before the before the deadline, which it sounds like City are pursuing, um, that would be a, a massive strengthening, assuming it's somebody good, obviously. Uh, for top four, I would expect Liverpool to be in there. Uh, I think they've probably had the best transfer window because they've improved positions that desperately needed improving. Uh, we saw ourselves last year how much difference a good goalkeeper, a good distribution can make to a team to the point that I don't think we'd have won the league without Edison. Um, he, was, he was that important to us and to our style of play. If Liverpool notice a similar impact from Alisson, which they will be hoping to, given how much money they spent on him, um, I think they will be, I think they'll be our biggest threat. Um, the only problem for them, I think, is, or the biggest problem for them is that consistency and how the intensity of Klopp's style um, stretches across the 38-game season. Um, and then following that, I'm, I'm going to say Tottenham in third because I just think they're, I think they're excellent. I love watching them. I like Pochettino a lot. They've got great players. Uh, so I would, that's where I put Spurs. And then fourth is a hard one. I think fourth is a really, really hard one. I expect more from Chelsea this season, a lot more. Um, I'm trying not to let my bias against United impact things, but I think they've had uh, not a great summer and there are signs that Mourinho is doing his usual, um, getting fed up after two seasons. And to be fair, he's looked pretty fed up since he walked through the door there. Uh, and I think there'll be a hell of a lot of pressure on them this year to really mount a title challenge, and, and I'm not convinced that they will. Um, so I'm going to put Chelsea in fourth. Um, and then for relegation, I would have Cardiff going down because it's Neil Warnock, and he's not a good Premier League manager, even by his own admission. Um, and I didn't think he'd stay there, to be honest, let alone, you know, I was surprised to see that he signed a new contract. Um, and then after that, I think it's the hardest in years to call the relegation battle. I think you feasibly got over half the league that could get dragged into it. Um, I'm tempted to say Bournemouth will really, really get dragged into it this year um, because 
I think they're at a point where without making significant improvement and significant changes, I think the the difficulty of the Premier League just might really start to catch up with them. And so I'm going to tip Bournemouth to go down, but I don't know if that's a crazy shout. And then possibly even crazier, uh, until today when they finally made a signing, I've really, really worried for Burnley. And Jamie might offer, um, well, hopefully offer an entirely different opinion on that. But with the possibility of a, a draining Europa League campaign and without making serious additions, I think we see time and time again teams that, um, to be respectful, arguably punch above their weight from one season um, when they're in that grouping outside of the top six and don't necessarily have huge resources. The effect next season of not being as good and the impact that can have on confidence, I think it can be huge. And if Burnley didn't start well, I would personally see them struggling to, to pull themselves up through the league. Um, that said, Sean Dyche is an extremely talented manager and they've got everything in terms of hard work and that's not to demean the quality that they have as well. Um, they could very well prove me wrong and be a top-half team again, but I just on transfers so far, I could see Burnley being dragged into it. Sorry, Jamie. Yeah, in, in terms of my predictions for the top four, um, I, I I tend to agree. I, th- I think that Manchester City, um, not just based on on today, I, I think I think that just the entire ethos that um, Pep Guardiola pours into a club, I think it's this uh, winning mentality that um, that I probably probably haven't seen since maybe even the the first time around at Chelsea for Jose Mourinho that where it just seemed inevitable that Chelsea were going to win that that second title, but just because the the mentality of of the team was so strong and so ingrained in the way that that side played. And I, and I tend to see that with, with Man City. I think, and I, I agree, I think Mares is an absolute masterstroke of a signing. I, someone that I really wanted to see at Chelsea. I, uh, he, he, he's incredible. Every, every time I see him play, I'm reminded of how good a player he actually is and how how just unbelievable that it was that... <laughs> That he's been at Le- that he's actually stayed at Leicester this long. I think I think that I, he was the one that I really thought was going to leave that first that first window after they won the title. So yeah, I think that that's really good business. I think that they just um they just have so much depth, and I think that the, though the one thing I would say about Manchester City though is if Liverpool are to improve heavily, and it would take a massive improvement, obviously. Um, I think that I think that I'm right in saying that. Pep is going to probably prioritise the the Champions League this year, I'd imagine, or at, or at least try and give it a, a better go than last year, and that that could potentially maybe in the later months, if it is tight, if it is you know the three or six points difference, but that would obviously require an actual title race, which we haven't really seen probably since the 13-14 season. So yeah, I'd, I'd expect Man City to to win the league. I, I think I think that as, as as I've alluded to there, I think that Liverpool will be in second. I think that they've done some amazing business. I think that the one that kind of has gone a bit under the radar, probably because they signed him technically last year, is Naby Keita. He is just an incredible player. He, he reminds me, obviously, I, I watch N'Golo Kante week in week out. He's got the he's got the work rate of N'Golo Kante, um, and the you know the proficiency of of like a Tiago going forward I think that he's going to be he's going to be a perfect for uh, Klopp's rock and roll style of football um in third maybe my bias I I do I do think that this Chelsea side is is 
could get there. I, I really I really think it obviously depends on I think Hazard is staying. I think it's far too late for, for that to have gone down this transfer window. I think we've survived another summer of of the constant Hazard to Madrid talk. So I think that Hazard will stay. Uh, it may take him a, a month or two to, you know, adjust to get into this get into the flow of how Sari works. But I think once he does, I think Hazard's gonna have a great season. I think that uh this ongoing Chelsea on, Chelsea off, uh kind of topsy-turvy seasons that we've been having the last few years is going to continue. And I think that um, we'll, we'll get it together for a majority of this season. And I I could see a scenario where we, where we go quite deep in a lot of competitions um, just because I think that th- this year is going to be a good year. I just <laughs> can't really put my finger on it. I just, I just feel that this is going to be, this is going to be a good season for Chelsea once every, once everything falls into place. Um, Though I do have a caveat for that, I, I we really need to bring in an attacking player before the end of the transfer window. A winger. We haven't actually bought a winger in three years, and um, uh, watching Willian and Pedro fight it out for that right wing spot, I think is is not great. <laughs> um, and in terms of uh, fourth place, I'm really torn on this one. I I think this could go either way between Spurs or Man United. I, 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 I do worry for Spurs um, because of the lack of transfer business, obviously. And yeah, you're always worried that if you don't move forward, then are you moving backwards? And yeah, but then you look at you know the quality that that they've got in terms of Kane and um, Delhi and Ericsson and all, and all these guys. You know, they they've been such constant providers in the Premier League for the last few years. So you'd expect them to to at least put up their their regular numbers again. And their regular numbers have been quite high. So, yeah. And I, I do think if if they were to lose Alderweire, I would think that's, I think that could be a massive loss. But, you know, could, could Davis and Ch- Sanchez in his first kind of full season at Tottenham, you know, do even, could he step into the team even more than last year? Yeah. And then with Man United, obviously, um, it's been it's been quite a crazy, quite a crazy summer for them. I've been tuning in and out of, Kind of, I have a lot of friends that are Man United friends, so I've been kind of asking them a lot of questions. Obviously, as a Chelsea fan, I'm used to the Mourinho third-year implosion, so that, that could be that could be a risk factor. If I was hard pushed, I would probably say Man United make the fourth spot, but there's almost nothing in it between third and fourth for me, to be honest. I think it's going to be really tight as usual in that that top four chase. In terms of relegation, I, I agree. I think that Cardiff look the the only real obvious one to go down, I think. Um, I think that just the, the the way that they play. When I tuned in last season to their games, it was um, it was an effective method in the championship. But have they really invested enough to to have Premier League quality players in that side? I tend not to think so. And with uh, Neil Warnock in charge, doesn't really inspire a lot of. I love faith. I, I think that he could be one of the one of the first ones to be sacked, to be honest, and wouldn't totally surprise me if they were rock bottom. Um, I actually think that in nineteenth place we could see Huddersfield. I I think they were really lucky last season. I, I think that and maybe lucky is the wrong word because obviously they had a lot of quality in their side. People like Aaron Moy, as an Australian fan, I, I know him quite well. But uh, yeah, I think I think that maybe the Maybe even where they've invested hasn't been in the right positions. I don't think. I think that some some of their their buys have been questionable to say the least. 
And I, th- I think that this could be a season too far for them. And lastly, actually, I've said this is this is another team I've put in here with a caveat. I think that if Crystal Palace lose Wilfred Zaha, I think they're in massive trouble. I, I really think if they if they sell Wilfred Zaha this late, uh, I, th- I think they could be goners. To be honest, so I, I like to signing a Max Meyer. I think that's a that's a really smart business there, but. I can't remember the exact stats, but with, without Wilfred Zaha, Crystal Palace were just a, a different team last season and they lost a lot of games. I'm pretty sure he was involved in all of their wins, if if I can remember correctly, or at least a lot of them. Yeah, and I, I think, think it was all of them. I think, yeah, and that, that's that's insane. <laughs> that, that just shows you he was probably one of the most effective players for a team last season for his team. And yeah, if they were to lose him at this late stage, I think that could be a disastrous blow. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what's been what's been said by Richard and Stephen. Um, without just repeating the same four that's been said, um, I do think Arsenal will miss out, like the other two lads. I don't really rate Unai Emery, to be honest. Um, this is a guy who couldn't win the league at PSG in his first season, despite the, the massive investment they had in their squad. They were picked by Monaco, who fair play was sensational that season, but if you can't win a one-team league... It's a, a big red flag for me with Unai Emery. I don't think they've bought particularly well either. I don't think they've bought players who can get them back in that top four. There's massive leadership value vacuum in that squad. The fact that they're talking about Ozil as a potential captain. Um, obviously, he's had a very difficult summer with what's been going on with Germany. And I'm, I'm very sympathetic to him because I think he's been badly treated. But... Talking about a potential club captain, Mesut Ozil, I think that's absolutely abysmal and just shows what sort of a mess Arsenal are going to be in when games start going against them. They're not going to be able to turn it around. Um, and the other team out of the top six from last season that I think will miss out are Manchester United. Um, Mourinho just seems to be falling apart. They don't seem to have brought in players to improve the squad, particularly. Not really sure Fred's going to do the business. Um, I think we saw the World Cup players like Lukaku and Pogba freed up from Mourinho's straight jacket. They really thrived. I think questions are going to be asked if we don't see the Pogba and Lukaku that we did at the World Cup. Um, and both players just don't particularly seem motivated by playing for Mourinho. He's been in such a terrible mood throughout pre-season. It's difficult to see how how he's going to motivate that team. The way he was talking about United's young players on the pre-season tour, I thought were absolutely atrocious, really. Um, to compare the things he was saying to similar comments from Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, really thrilled to be able to work with these young players, learning a lot about them, um, talking about them being potentially included in first-team squads. It was such a massive contrast to to what Mourinho was saying about his United players. And this is a club that's supposed to have such a strong history about young talent and developing them into the team. Um, so I do think it's going to be a standard Mourinho third-season implosion. I wouldn't be surprised if he was gone by Christmas, and then obviously it depends who they get in. Um, so in terms of the order of the top four, I think it's very difficult not to predict City to win the title, even though even though it's been very difficult to retain the title. As Richard said, nobody's done it since since Manchester United and Sir Alex Ferguson, who everyone knows was a total one-off. But they've got such a strong team already. Mares, as the other lads have said, very strong addition. Players like Sané, Sterling, Jesus, they're only going to get even better. Um, 
I, I do think they do still need the defensive midfielder, but they can probably get by without. I'm not sure they're going to break all the records like they did last season, but I think they're going to have more than enough to, to win the title again. I do see Liverpool being their closest rivals. Like the others have said, they've invested extremely well. Um, I'm still not sure they're going to protect the defence quite well enough. Naby Keita, to me, seems to maybe lack a little bit of positional discipline. And I think they might still get overrun a little bit in some games. But the front three that they've got, Salah, very unlikely to be a one-season wonder. He could be even better. Firmino fits the system perfectly. Mane is very dangerous. I think Liverpool certainly the, the leading contenders to push City close, how close they can get it. I'm not sure it's going to be a title race, unfortunately. I think City will win it quite comfortably. Third for me, Tottenham. As I said earlier on, I think keeping those players is absolutely crucial. Pochettino seems to be building something very long-term. Harry Kane's probably the best goal scorer. Um, out and out goal scorer in Europe, if not world football. Um, players like Christian Eriksen, Deli Ali pulling the strings, I think they're going to have more than enough to get in the top four. And, well, that leaves Chelsea, doesn't it? I think Sarri is a very exciting addition. They do seem to have this boom and bust type cycle. They've looked quite good in some of the pre-season games, although they were pretty dreadful in the community shield, I think it's fair to say. Um, Murata needs to book up or ship out for me. I think he's a big weakness in that team, and obviously they need to keep Hazard and probably Courtois as well, uh, with Madrid circling. So that's the top four for me. To go down, I think it is extremely difficult to call. Um, probably agree with Cardiff. They don't seem to have invested strong enough. They've brought in championship players, really. I don't think they're going to have enough firepower. Warnock. I quite like Neil Warnock, to be honest. Um, he had a bit of a run-in with Burnley a few years ago when Stan Turner was in charge. But I think um, since that, was so long ago I've been able to forgive him a bit and I do think he's a bit of a breath of fresh air sort of old school manager um, but he said himself that he doesn't feel like he's up to it in the Premier League and it's a bit strange that they're going to let him lead them into the season I think um, I totally take on board what Richard was saying about Burnley I think if we were to get in the group stage that would be a massive challenge a big drain on the, the thin resources we have in the squad but I don't think we're going to get through to the group stage we we're unseeded for the playoff, even if we get through Istanbul. So I think it's highly likely, unfortunately, that our first European adventure in 50-odd years is a short one. And I think there's no reason really for us to be over 10 places worse than we were last season. It might be a bit more scrappier than it was last season when we were obviously top half for most of the season. But I don't see us being in that much trouble. Um, for me, I think Huddersfield, as, as Stephen said, they had quite a lot fortune at times last season I really like David Dragner I think he's a fantastic coach but the quality just doesn't quite seem to be there in the squad um, for the third one I'm going to go for somebody who hasn't been mentioned yet I think Newcastle are in real trouble Rafa Benitez constantly seems to be on the brink of walking out if they don't get the players he wants before the deadline I do think there's a chance that he quits apparently there's um, a clause in his contract that means he would have to pay the club 6 million which is incredible, really, that he agreed to sign that contract. But he, t he seems totally fed up. Um, they obviously overperformed vastly last season with Benitez in charge. And if he was to go, I think it would be difficult to see that squad staying up next season. Yeah, all fantastic shots. And we'll obviously see how things go uh, throughout the season. 
Uh, now we're going to head into questions for each of our guests regarding their club specifically. Uh, Richard, will lead in with you uh, in today's match, which either did or did not matter, depending on which <laughs> guest of this very show you ask. Um, Sergio Aguero scored his 200th goal for the club, which is obviously a huge milestone. Now, pretty much for the last two seasons, uh, segments of the media and fan bases have been trying to push him out the door for whatever's next. There was that great Ihe Nacho season. Obviously, he's gone now. Now there's Gabriel Jesus behind him. How much longer do you think we're going to see Sergio Aguero, A, at his best, and B, uh, how long do you think he'll stay at City and in that first slot as your primary striker? Uh, I think he'll be at his best for however long he's at the club because I think the talent that Aguero has and his it's sort of his key skills are not really um, they're not dependent on factors that really weigh in too much. I don't think he's I mean he's he's no slouch, but his his quality in front of goal, his his technical ability, his reading of the game isn't dependent on pace as such. Um, so I don't think there's a risk in the short term, um, or short to medium term, of any sort of massive decline in quality. And with a manager like Guardiola, who's going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing him, um, I, I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be a world-class striker for the time that he remains at City, which I think will be for one or two seasons. Um, it, I, I think his contract runs until 2020. Because um, was, <clears throat> there was a weird dispute about that for a long time where he seemed to think that his contract ran until 2019 and in every interview that he gave about how he saw his future, he always said, I signed a contract till 2019. But there was a leaked story that he'd signed an extension until 2020 and nobody ever confirmed it, but it just became accepted that he'd signed it and the club had just never released that information officially. It, it was really, really odd. Um, because you'd think just on PR value, you would release when um, you, one of you star players has signed a new contract. Um, he's always been pretty clear that his plan is to see out um, sort of his days in European football in Manchester and then head back to Independiente, who he played for and supported in Argentina. Uh, there are, ever since Guardiola walked through the door, there have been stories that, for whatever reason, he didn't fancy Aguero, that he wasn't um, a pep type of player, that they didn't get on, that there was a strained relationship. Um, I think from the outside that there probably is quite a strained relationship between them, um, strained in a personal sense, but that doesn't have to affect their professional relationship. And you can see performances like today and... Um, interestingly enough, in the second half of each of Guardiola's seasons so far, they've been the points at which Aguero has been at his absolute best, which tend to coincide with uh, with Jesus' injuries. But there always seems to be in sort of January, February, this this real kick on from him and he'll hit a, a purple patch where he's, well, I suppose normal Aguero, where he's, he's sort of a goal up before the game even starts, if, if he's starting when he's in that kind of form. Um, Whatever happens between those two on a personal level, um, and it seems sometimes that, Guad that sorry that Aguero's camp aren't happy with the way Guardiola sometimes answers questions where he says, I want Aguero to stay, but the ball will always be in his court. Aguero always sort of seems to fire back by saying, well, I want to stay, but it's up to the club. So it's probably between the two of them, not the happiest of personal relationships. But I've never 
been in a job myself where you have to get on with your managers to be able to perform. As long as the manager's a good manager on a professional level, it's great if you can get on with him, but you don't have to be best friends, do you? So Aguero consistently proves that he can improve, that he can play the way Guardiola wants him to. It's not always been natural to him. Um, Pep doesn't care about reputation. You, you know, it, it only took him a season to get rid of an exceptional Samuel Leto, who was a great striker, but just didn't quite fit what Guardiola was trying to do with Barcelona. Um, so this form for getting rid of great strikers, but there seems to be a will from club and player for this all to work, and it does work. Um, so I think he will stay. I think he will be here till 2020, which is when I believe his contract runs out. Um, I don't think he'll sign an extension. I think he will stick to his plan to go back to Independiente. Uh, and then on the final part of that, who will be the primary striker? I don't really think we have one now. I think it is a whoever suits a particular game or whoever gets the nod at one point and is in great form. It will be Jesus or Aguero. I think they will play a similar amount of games this season because both of them are too good to take a, a back seat. If it really, really came to it, though, if it, if it really was like sort of an ultimatum of either I'm your first choice from Aguero, either I'm your first choice or I leave, Jesus is the future. You know, he's, he's a kid who's just signed a new contract for 2023. He's already pretty brilliant and there is so much more to come from him. There's so much more that he could improve on. So if it, if it was a straight shootout, then Jesus would get the nod. But there's no reason for it to be. Um so, yeah, I think Aguero will see out his contract. He'll continue to be brilliant, but I think he'll pretty much split his role with Jesus. I don't think they'll be starting a whole lot of games together. So I think it'll be pretty much half and half. Interesting. If you had to put a, a number on how many starts you think each gets in the league? Um, God, that's an hard question, Kev. I'd probably... I would probably tip Jesus to be starting a few more and be sort of at the 22-23 mark um, for starts and then Aguero on whatever the difference is matters at my strong point <laughs> <laughs> but somewhere towards the sort 16. of 15 16, yeah around that mark but it's, it's so hard to call as well because then I know there's always variables with questions like this but Jesus' history so far is that he picks up a significant injury each season so that being the case Aguero hits fantastic form and then Jesus struggles to get back into the team because he takes out a striker that's scoring that's averaging one or two a game so I don't know it's a very very hard question but to just put an exact number on it I'll say Jesus starts 22 and Aguero starts the, the difference all right uh coming to you now Stephen talking about Chelsea uh obviously the day you signed both uh Jorginho and uh sorry was a very good day for Chelsea fans indeed but I thought it raised a very interesting question about what you're planning to do in central midfield. Obviously, in today's match, uh, we saw Fabregas, Jorginho, and Barkley. Uh, but also, in the last 12 months, you've signed Bakayoko and Drinkwater. You also have Loftus-Cheek, um, who, who's back from his loan, well, when he returns from England duty. And then um, you still have N'Golo Kante, who it seems like all the rumors of him moving to PSG or Barcelona have kind of bubbled away. What are you planning on doing in, in central midfield there? Yeah, so um, it, it's quite interesting, actually, central midfield, because last season, that was a real area of distress for a lot of Chelsea fans. We were really lacking depth there. 
And um, now all of a sudden, it really seems like we have quite a lot of depth there and almost too much. It looks like we really should get rid of at least one, whether that be Bakayoko on loan or Danny Drinkwater has been um, touted around to a few clubs. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting position for us because I think that the signing of Jorginho is is really crucial for us. I think that he's probably the only guy in that midfield who's capable of, of playing that kind of deep-lying Regista role. Um, Fabregas probably could have played it a few years ago, but obviously lacks a lot of athleticism now. Um, I think that he's, he's a lock in the team, obviously. Sari likes to play with three in midfield um, with a Regista and then um, N'Golo Kante kind of in the Carrillo role where he's kind of running free, able to, able to press higher up the pitch. Then we've been used to seeing him at Chelsea, which would be interesting. Um, and hopefully when, once we get those pressing, that, that press kind of more ingrained into our system, we'll be able to see N'Golo Kante flourish in that role, I think, and um, be even better at intercepting, which sounds crazy to say. Um, and then that final spot in a Sarri three midfield is usually the more attacking. So, for example, at Napoli, it was the, it was the Hamzik role. Um, and obviously, this is a guy who is able to join into the attack and score goals and create assists and chances for the team. Um, it's, it's a pretty crucial role in, this, in the side from, attack, from an attacking point of view. Yeah, for, we probably haven't at Chelsea had that kind of clear attacking midfielder since someone like Oscar. Um, we haven't really had a need for it in our system. Um, we've obviously played two in midfield for the majority of the last few few years. So having that having that third position is now looks like it could be an opportunity for Ross Barkley um, or Ruben Loftus Cheek to make a make a claim for for a first team role in this side. But I do worry about both of them for for some reasons. Um, first of all, I think that Barkley um, has looked really good in preseason for the most part. I think that he's he's had all the application, but does still lack a lot of uh, a lot of clarity in in the way he makes decisions in the final third. I think that he sometimes passes when he should drive and drive when he should pass, and I think that'll come with time playing in the system. But at the same time, when I've been assessing um, Napoli over the last uh, kind of over the break. And, and going back and watching a lot of their games from the last few years. And one thing that I did notice is just how athletic that midfield was for, for Napoli. And I think the, the side in general, I think, was a really athletic side. Um, when I look at someone like Barkley, who tends to have almost that kind of Wayne Rooney, uh, Luke Shaw kind of body shape, I suppose. Um, I'm not exactly sure if he has the full athleticism to get around the pitch as much. Um, obviously, we haven't seen him play that much at Chelsea, so it's still very much early days in that regard. And um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, or um, while his his strength and and kind of skill has never been under question, um, I think the main reason that he hasn't actually broken into this Chelsea side over the last few years, um, from my point of view, is that he just seems to struggle um, in a ninety-minute game. I think he tends to he tends to drift a bit. I think that he. He tends to, to struggle to pick up the pace of games. Obviously, last season at Crystal Palace, he did that quite well. Um, the the further we got into the season, especially in the second half of the season, once his injuries kind of died out, he, um, he was obviously a mainstay of their team. Um, a lot of Chelsea fans 
would really like to see him in the team because he's just he's a brilliant player. Um, and um, he obviously at Chelsea we don't get to see a lot of the the youth breakthrough. Um, the the one person I do that I do see struggling to get into this team in the Premier League is Cesc Fabregas and Danny Drinkwater actually as well. I think that both those two are going to really struggle to find a position in this team just because they don't really have a natural position in this midfield. Um, I, th- I think that Bakayoko could be useful um, in as backup for Kante. Um, but yeah, uh, the the rest of the guys, I, th- I think, are just they're just going to have to play backup roles th- this year. I think that I do think that the midfield three will be um, Jorginho, Kante, and then one of either Barkley or Ruben Loftus Cheek. Though there has been rumours recently of Aaron Ramsey joining, um, which obviously I think he would fill that more attacking position, and that would be an interesting signing. But yeah, um, I, I I tend to think that we do need a signing in that attacking midfield position, just because I don't think anyone has the. We we've really lacked uh, goal scoring threat from midfield for a few years now, and I think that. I think that a signing would be required there. All right, and then just uh, very quickly with uh, yes or no's, uh, will William be a Chelsea player after the ninth? No, I don't think he will. Will Courtois? Yes. Okay. Um, those will both be fascinating situations as well. Um, coming to you now, Jamie, we've referenced it a couple times, but Burnley are in the middle of a very interesting uh, European adventure. Obviously, a uh, pair of matches uh, against the Turkish side here coming up. Uh, what are you expecting to see in those? Do you think that you'll kind of go all out um, and try to win those? Uh, or as you say, do you think there might be some thinking in the back of the head that it could really interrupt your season? Um, I think we'll go for it. I think um, watching Sean Dyche watch the second league of the Aberdeen game um, really brought it home to me how much he wants to succeed in this competition. Um, a lot of these comments coming into the season seem to suggest that the Europa League was almost like something that he didn't really want for the club. Mm. Um, and I do think it's fair to say that we're massively ahead of schedule. Um, obviously, no one really predicted that Burnley could finish seventh and get into Europe. But you you, you have to take the opportunity when it comes along. Um, the fact that it's 51 years since Burnley were in Europe it could quite easily be 51 years again until Burnley are in Europe. So I think we have to go all out. I, I do think it would have an impact on our season. Obviously, we're not used to the Thursday-Sunday cycle. Throughout Dash's time in charge, we've made a big thing of the fact that we're one of the fittest teams in the league. Playing twice a week would probably make that really difficult. We don't have a lot of depth in certain positions either, so we'd be asking a lot of players like Chris Ward to try and play 40, 45 games in a season. Um, so I think it's going to be tricky. Um, looking at the tie itself, surprisingly, I don't know that much about this team other than obviously the headline names, players like Adebayor and Clichy and Arda who have been at big European clubs in the past. Um, I'm assuming they've got some young players around that, otherwise we could just run rings around them, to be honest. You can't have old players against the sort of energy that we play with. Um, it's going to be tricky though obviously you don't want a game like this three days before the start of the season it's it's really awkward timing for us but we have to treat it as 
that's the massive opportunity that it is. I think Burnley fans would be devastated if we didn't have a real crack at it because, like I say, this this could be a once in a in a generation, if not once in a lifetime opportunity. We have to give it everything we've got. I'm glad to hear uh, you say that because previously you had mentioned that you weren't really sure how you were going to approach it. So uh, if you're going out and fighting for it, I'm sure the fans will be pleased really, regardless of the result. Um, the other thing we alluded to at the very beginning of the show is that you signed somebody today in Ben Gibson. Yes. You had talked yes. for a long time about needing to bring in another center back, um, how fortunate uh, the club had been that Tarkovsky had grown as well as he had um, to fill, obviously, the departing Keane, who we won't really get on his Everton career thus far. But you have brought in another center back. Are, are you pleased, A, that you finally filled that hole, and B, what other holes do you think still need to be addressed before the season starts? I am pleased. I think it's a really good signing. Um, ben Gibson was being linked with, and this could just be agent talk, but people were talking about him going to Chelsea or Man City for sort of 25, 30 million pounds. So for us to get him for half that um, a year later, after what seems to have been a pretty solid season in the Championship, I think it's an excellent signing. Whether he goes into the team or not, I think is, is more difficult to say. Um, as you mentioned, Tarkovsky had to wait for his place. I think it's it's quite possible that. Ben Gibson does the same. Um, I suspected that it was going to be a, a straight swap, one Ben in and one Ben out at the back. Ben Mee is going into the last year of his contract. There's mm. not been that much talk about him renewing, but there's reports today that he is going to sign on, which will be a huge boost for us because that would give us, us three very good centre-backs for, for our sort of level. Um, it gives us the tactical flexibility to perhaps play three centre-backs, which is something that we've not really done on Dash. Obviously, it was very fashionable at some clubs in the last couple of seasons. I think it's good to have that option. Um, and I think it would maybe suit us in certain areas if we did play three at the back. But having the cover is absolutely crucial. We, we have been quite lucky to avoid serious injuries to the defenders. Kevin Long had to play a few games last season and did okay. But you would never want to be in a situation where if Tarkovsky broke his leg and was out for four months, five months, Kevin Long was having to play most of the season, that would be an absolute disaster. So to have that um, extra cover in there, I think is really useful. Um, obviously, the, the main player that we're being linked with, aside from, from Gibson, which happened today, is Joe Hart. A very, very sort of left-field one that came really out of nowhere. Um, and has fueled a lot of conspiracy theories among the, the Burnley supporters, suggestions that Tom Heaton's going to leave or the minor injury they've said that Heaton's got with his calf is more serious than they've said. Obviously, we don't know what sort of timescale we've got on Nick Pope's shoulder. Heaton missed most of last season with a similar injury, so we have to assume that the, the worst could be happening with with Nick Pope. And I think adding another goalkeeper into the mix is, is a good move in that situation. Anders Lindegaard played both legs against Aberdeen in the end, having to come on after after Pope hurt his shoulder, and he did well. But if something was to happen to Ethan Wood, I want Lindegaard playing a lot of matches similar to, to Kevin Long. No, I wouldn't. So I think it, it does make sense to move for a goalkeeper. I think it's pretty hilarious how many Burnley fans seem to think that we're now above Joe Hart. Um it's fair to say that the last couple of years have not been good for, for Hart, but this is a goalkeeper with 75 England caps, four golden gloves, which is more than anyone else. Helped City to a couple of league titles, was it? When he was up and coming, he was sort of as one of the rising stars, considered as one of the best young goalkeepers in the world. Um, and I don't think he'd become a bad player just over the space of a couple of years. I think there's a very good goalkeeper in that. 
we've obviously worked wonders really with Pope and Heaton, goalkeepers that when we signed them, they were dropping down to League One. So the fact that we've developed them to the standard where they're England internationals suggests to me that Joe Hart, if he's going to get back on track, is certainly at the right place to do it. Um, whether or not he comes in and is number one or whether he's back up to Heaton, obviously we have to wait and see for that. But I think it's got the potential to, to turn out to be a very smart move. Other areas of the squad, I think we're in a position now where it's about adding quality and depth wherever we can. If players are available, then we have to try and do deals. I don't think there's anything glaring in the squad that we really need, maybe a bit of pace and attack. There's a lot of talk about Sam Klukas from Swansea. It seems like that deal might not be happening. Um, similarly, we wanted Alfie Mawson before the Gibson deal was done. From what Dash has been saying, we had Mawson pretty much in the bag and then Fulham came in and offered more money and he wanted to go and play in London. So these things can happen. I'm sure they are working on deals quite often. Our transfer activity comes pretty much out of nowhere. No one was suggesting that Joe Hart was going to be a, ta- a target and then all of a sudden it seems to be almost done and people are saying that's going to be announced um, maybe on Monday. So I think there are going to be deals to be done and if we can get maybe Jay Rodriguez in from West Brom, he's a name that people have been talking about, obviously a former player. If we can add a Klukas type, versatile midfielder who can play a few different roles, Joe Hart in to boost goalkeeping cover, I think we'll be in decent shape. Yeah, kind of sticking with the uh, transfer stories here. Um, just, what, four days to the end of the window uh, from now? So who do you think will be the biggest name uh, either in or, in or out of the Premier League? Um, I See, I was prepared for this until uh, Stephen disagreed and now I was sort of bow to him. But I was going to say Courtois. <laughs> um, I sort of assumed that he might well make the move to Madrid, given how much it's been linked. Uh, and then the other one that I was going to say I thought might happen, although I might have misread the question with you saying in or out of the Premier League, I was going to say I, I could see Zaha moving if somebody stumps up the money for him. Mm. Uh, but that's, and I assume Spurs would remain favourites for that. Um, but yeah, other than that, to be honest, I don't really know. Um I know we're still looking at um, a at City is still looking at a, a, a holding midfielder. Pep seems to have confirmed that today. So whether the, we've been linked to some pretty big names in that regard, obviously we missed out on Fred, missed out on Jorginho. Um, so whether there could be a pretty big name coming there, I, I don't know. Um, but it seems that might be something that's a little bit under wrap. So yeah, I'm, I'll stick to uh, my original answer of Courtois going out. But to be honest, nothing would really surprise me at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the, it seems like the course where one is going to rumble on to the end of the window. Uh, the reason I think he may stay is because I actually think that for the money that Madrid are offering, thirty-two million, I think was the was the latest bid that's actually been made. I think that Chelsea would just rather lose him on a free, to be honest, hmm. uh, next year and k- keep him and try and make a pushback for the top four. Just was, honestly, right now, I don't think that there that there are a lot of top quality goalkeepers available for a price that Chelsea seem seem um, interested to buy. So I think that um, we may wait a season, um, hold Courtois down <laughs> and um, maybe hopefully try interest him in a new contract. But if he, if he wants to go on a free, then, then I think that um, Chelsea would happily let that happen. 
it's, it's another one of the situations where you just shouldn't let a contract run down. But, you know, <laughs> that's football. Um, in terms of incoming to the Premier League, I've actually just read while we've been recording, um, Gary Mina has apparently agreed a move to Everton. So um, that's interesting. Um, interesting. Interesting player um, coming in. In, t- in terms of moving inside the Premier League, though, I, I still think there's there's one small little domino effect to go down. I think that that domino effect could be could be the Martial. I think I think that he's he's really pushing for a move away from Manchester United. I know that a lot of United fans are really keen on keeping him, though I think it, it's one of those strange issues between Mourinho and the board. I think I think that the board wants to keep him because they feel that Martial will be here longer than Mourinho, but I think that Mourinho is is just about done with Martial, and I think that he is a player who wants to play through the middle and wants to play as a number nine. His whole brand is built around. Anthony Martial, nine. And I think that he was quite disappointed to lose the nine to Zlatan um, a few years back. And uh, I think that he, the time could be right now for a move away from Manchester United. And to be honest, I, I would love Chelsea to make a move for him. And to, and if we could get a, a Willian Martial plus cash deal going, I would be all on board for that because Willian is is average. <laughs> um, and yeah, also Wolf Zaha, obviously, as I mentioned slightly before, I, I think um, would be an interesting option for a couple of teams. And um, yeah, c- could could see him moving there. I think that Palace would be mad to let him go at this stage. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really difficult one to call this. I think obviously the Premier League window closing early. Is I don't want to say it's caught teams out, but I think it's maybe snuck up, snuck up on them a little bit. Um, the fact that they did it in a World Cup year, I think, was a massive mistake, and and really just forced clubs to try and scramble, do all their business in the space of a two, three week period. Um, and I don't think it works unless all of the big European leagues fall into line, which might happen um, in the near future. But for now, I think the Premier League's just put their clubs at a big disadvantage. Um, if, for example, Madrid wanted to buy in Hazard or Thibaut Quarto or both, Chelsea could be left in a position where they just can't replace them. And I think both of those players have made it quite clear that they would certainly entertain that transfer if it was to come up. Um, for that reason, I think Madrid have been quite cute and clever in the way that they've held on to the Ronaldo cash and not brought anyone in, really. Um, so I think they're probably in Europe, the team that's likely to do the most business. I think they probably need to refresh that squad full up Um In terms of the Premier League, Spurs always seem to leave it right down to the wire. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they went in for Grealish or Zahar or both or someone that we've not even mentioned or someone that we've not even heard of. It, it could just all completely kick off at Spurs in the last couple of days, especially if Alderweireld goes to Manchester United, as everyone seems to be saying, freeing up a bit of cash for for Levi to do the deals that he really likes to do in the window. Um, I agree with Stephen that Martial is potentially one that could move as well. and That could have a little bit of a domino effect, but I think time's just running out for those sort of deals to happen. I wouldn't really be surprised if there's only really Spurs do big business in the last couple of days. Um, City have obviously made it clear that they want a defensive midfielder, but I don't think they'll just go out and buy one the sake of it, I think they'll make sure that it's someone who fits 
someone who they're going to be able to develop. I don't think they're just going to go and get someone for the sake of signing someone. Um, so I think it could be quite a quiet end to the window, really. Obviously, it all gets built up, especially in the UK, with transfer deadline day on Sky Sports News and the yellow ties and all that. But I think it could be a, a bit of a damp squib. And anyway, the big thing that's happening on Thursday is Burnley playing in Istanbul. So who really cares about the transfer window? Course? It's irrelevant. <laughs> Fantastic point, Jamie. Um, is it televised? <laughs> they haven't announced it yet. I would assume that they're going to try and do a deal. For the Aberdeen game, it seemed like Aberdeen were reluctant. Um, so I've, I've got absolutely no idea how mm. these negotiations work. I would certainly expect the whole mic to be on TV, if not the away leg. Well, if it's not on TV, then I guess people will be relegated and, and resign themselves to having to watch <laughs> Sky and all that transfer stuff. But otherwise, yeah, exactly. I'm sure it would have been on the Burnley match. Uh, all right, that'll do it for us today. Thanks so much to you guys for joining us. If you have any projects you're working on or want to tell people where they could reach you, now would be a good time. Uh, thanks, Kev. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Richard of the Burns. I'm on the Blue Moon podcast, which is a weekly dedicated Manchester City podcast. Uh, I also uh, write two blogs a month for uh, the Blue Moon podcast. Um, they are available to people who back us via Patreon for a uh, measly $2 a month. Um, if anybody wants to find out more about that, they can page at Blue Moon podcast. Yeah, thanks for listening today, guys. Um, like I said before, my name's Stephen. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen Clark CFC. Um, I'll be writing for London is Blue throughout the season, and um, on I'm pretty active on on Twitter, sharing any Chelsea information and just Premier League information in general. Um, also, I am starting a YouTube channel this year, which is interesting uh, with all stuff Chelsea related. So, um, yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, keep an eye out for that, and I should have some more information on that later. Thanks, everyone. Always a pleasure to be invited on. I've been Jamie Smith. Support Burnley. Tweets about all sorts of inane rubbish at Jamie Smith's bot. Uh, and no doubt tweet links to some of the stuff that I've been working on on there as well. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeRees. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my ratings over at Goal and Goal Betting. Uh, also, be sure to check out uh, the Championship and Fantasy Roundtable shows that come out through this very channel as well. Uh, I'm sure everybody enjoyed listening to those three instead of me talk for the majority of this show. Uh, so thanks to you guys for carrying all of that weight. Uh, we hope you enjoyed yourselves, and we hope you keep listening. <laughs>